Today I want to share another message with you that is kind of in the same vein like with Levin, where in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the Psalms, uh, it's all around and, and God is just, you can just see how this is a clear line of Scripture and a clear intention, a clear picture, an illustration of the righteousness and of the peace that God wants to give us as believers. And so I'm going to share a message with you today entitled Sabbath. We're going to talk about Sabbath today. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Mark chapter number two, Mark chapter number two and verse 23. Come on, you at least need to have a Bible on your iPhone uh, or on whatever other device you may have. Um, just redeem it, bring it to the Lord, dedicate it, christen it, sprinkle some holy water on it. Okay, don't do that. It might not work afterwards. But, but, uh, but make sure that you have a Bible that you can follow, that you can make some notes. Uh, having a, a physical Bible is still of so much value because of the notes that you can make in and because of the, uh, just the underlining that you can do. Just get immersed in the whole thing. But uh, Mark chapter number 2 and verse 23 is talking about the Sabbath and something that happened on the Sabbath with Jesus and his disciples. And it says this, it says, Mark 2, 23 says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees, now remember the Pharisees were those who thought that being right with God was going to come through the law. And so they administrated the law, they interpreted the law, they held others to the law, they taught on the law. They saw the way of righteousness, not through the free gift of God, even though the Messiah had been promised again and again and again, they continually saw righteousness as coming through the law. And so whenever people lived in the freedom of their relationship with God, the, those that represent the law would always take issue. And this is what happens here again. These guys are on the Sabbath walking through some fields. His disciples begin to pluck some heads of grain. And obviously they're hungry, they're eating. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Because we know that the law said that we are to keep the Sabbath holy, not work on the Sabbath, etc. And here these guys are plucking some grain to eat. And the Pharisees interpret even that as unlawful because it's work. To me, it sounds like a stroll, a nice little stroll through some grain fields, picking some nice things to eat. Come on, that sounds pretty peaceful right there. How many of you would like to just be strolling through a field right now? That sounds amazing. But according to the Pharisees, they were so intent on being righteous through the law that they continually judged others. And by the way, that is a definition of a Pharisee. Somebody who, who constantly monitors the sins of others while ignoring their own. And that's what these guys did. Why do they do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did? King David, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence. That's the, the showbread. We spoke about that a little bit last week when we spoke about leaven, about how this bread represented Jesus, when David was hungry, he broke into the house of God. They snuck in and ate the bread that was meant for the priests. He entered in and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful under the law for anyone but the priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man, Jesus, is the Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Jesus is pointing towards something here where if you follow the law and you follow the string of rules in order to make yourself righteous while missing the heart that God is trying to, to get across through the law, what God is trying to tell you about righteousness, you've got the wrong end of the stick. He goes, hang on, guys. The Sabbath was made for man. It was to be a blessing and not a burden. And for too many people, Christianity has become a burden rather than a blessing because they got the wrong end of the stick in terms of how righteousness works. I also just want to read Psalm 23, 1 and 2 this morning, which is a very well-known psalm, obviously, and it says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I won't be in need. I won't be in lack. I won't be missing anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That verse there, still waters, those words in the Hebrew, in Hebrew literally mean waters of rest. He leads me into a green pasture to, and makes me lie down beside waters of rest. I'm going to pray for us this morning. We're going to look at these scriptures and some more, and we're going to discuss the Sabbath today in the series called Righteous. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning we come to you, and we just humble ourselves before your word, Lord God. Father, we know that we all sit with preconceived ideas and perspectives uh, and approaches, Lord God, and and we just pray this morning that, uh, that we could open up our hearts and open up our minds and, and, and that your spirit would speak directly to us. Father, we don't want information today. We don't want theory. We don't want theology. We want a revelation from your spirit. We want you to speak to our hearts and confirm and uh, encourage and inspire faith in the gospel, Father. Help us, Jesus, to find rest this morning. Help us to find peace in and through your word and in and through who you are and what you've done for us. We give you all the glory for that this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So a few years ago, I was uh, out in a little town called Meshadadorp. Anybody ever been to Meshadadorp? You might even have been there. You just didn't notice. Uh, you may have driven right by as you were on your way somewhere else. Uh, Meshadadorp is a really, really tiny town. I don't think they have... Uh, you know, even a, a traffic light or anything like that, a couple stop streets maybe. And it's basically just one little hill with a church and some homes and maybe some farms out back. And uh, we were one time uh, out in Meshadadorp, and just at the back of Meshadadorp, there's this river that runs through there. It's got some, some amazing trout in that river, and uh, I went fishing there a little bit and caught two trout. I'm, I'm not going to say how long I was fishing for before I caught the trout. Uh, that, that, that will remain a secret, but I, I, I managed eventually to catch some trout out there in Meshadadorp. And I just remember this one time, and when I read Psalm 23, this picture comes back to me so clearly. It, it, it just almost uh, was just an illustration of Psalm 23. I really got it uh, after this one particular morning where I woke up early in Meshadadorp, and uh, in, next to this river, we were staying at a little uh, spa hydro place that was just down by the river. And uh, not a very fancy place, very basic, but just very beautiful surroundings. This river surrounded by these beautiful big trees, luscious green grass, uh, some rocks. And, and, and it was just, it's, it's, it's all natural like that. You know, it hasn't been manicured or anything. And it's just a beautiful space in nature. I remember waking up the one morning very, very early. And uh, going for a walk along the river. And there's something about when the air is cool, but the sun is hot. That, that combination, that is just amazing. 
and I'm walking in this fresh, cool air. There's still dew on the grass. This river is quiet, little peaceful river that's just flowing there. And I just walked along, and at one point, there was a rock next to the river, and I, I sat down next to this river. And I just remember I was praying a little bit, just sitting there, enjoying the sun on my back in the cool air, listening to the sound of the river, and it just felt very peaceful, just incredibly peaceful. In fact, I, you know, I closed my eyes for a moment, uh, kind of put my, my, my hands on my knees, and, and I dozed off for a few moments. You know, just, I don't even know how long. Maybe it was only a few seconds, but it probably was longer because when I woke up, there was a rock monitor lizard sitting right in front of me, you know, and I kind of woke up, saw this monitor lizard, our eyes connected. We had a moment, right, me and this, this lizard, and, um, and it was just a beautiful morning. And then when I read Psalm 23, I understood something more about the kind of space that God wants us to be when we're in a relationship with Him. What have we been busy with? Why is our relationship with God this tumultuous affair? Why is it this thing where, where we're, we're always struggling and fighting and feeling condemned and, and, and trying to fight our way back and claw our way back and self-doubt and, 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 and hurt and, 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 and all these things that we deal with when Jesus' invitation to us, uh, which we know so well in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. It's a space of peace. God, our relationship with God is one of peace. And the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. He is the one who made, the Bible says, formerly you were enemies of God. But through Jesus, he has made peace between us and the Father. And that is a lasting peace. It's an everlasting peace. It's an eternal peace. But yet for so many of us, our relationship with God isn't peaceful. It's a fight. It's a, it's a struggle. It's, it's cynical. It's difficult. It's disappointing oftentimes. And I believe that God, through understanding our righteousness and understanding the finished work of the cross and just coming to know the gospel, wants to bring us back to those green pastures beside those waters of rest. He's, he's, he's calling us. He's inviting us to come and sit with Him, to rest in the finished work of Jesus, to enjoy our relationship with God. Because Jesus says, I made the Sabbath for you. It's a time of rest for your soul. It's not something that He's going to point a finger and say, you're supposed to follow that. It's something He wants us to enter into and enjoy. In other words, it's not something, this relationship with God, this, this life that God has called us to, this purpose, this, this, this whole journey is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's a privilege. None of us are worthy of, of being in this relationship with God. None of us. No matter what you've done or haven't done. But God invites us to, to enter in to this relationship with Him. And it's amazing how we can take the things in life. We do this as people. The things that are meant to be enjoyed, the things that are meant to be peaceful, the things that are meant to produce rest in our lives, and we turn it into a chore. Have you noticed how we do that? 
You know, sometimes even making yourself a cup of coffee and, and, and sitting somewhere can become a chore. Uh, you know, looking after your family can become a chore. Just, just, just going on holiday, packing and driving, and it all becomes a chore. And we lose so much of our joy through these things. We, we get too serious about things, and this is what happens. We lose perspective. We forget what we're actually there for, what the purpose of those things were. Like that time when you were playing 30 seconds with your family, right? How many of you have lost relationships due to 30 seconds? Come on, marriages have been destroyed. Family feuds and chasms have been created. Friends have been lost. Because all that you want is for that little yellow disc of yours to get to the finish first. And when your partner cannot gel with you and cannot describe things properly, it produces an intense amount of frustration. Anybody we need to pray for this morning? Come on, I love playing 30 seconds with my parents, and they're here this morning, so um, they're going to enjoy this. But my parents are the best 30 seconds players ever because of how bad they are at it. You just, you want to play 30 seconds with them. I remember the one time my dad got a specific cricketer called Gary Kirsten on the card. And this was his, his clue, a cricketer. <laughs> and my mom's response was, give me more. And, he was, and my dad's reply was, a cricketer. <laughs> like, just go through all of them. Just, just start from, just alphabetically, just list them. Just go through every single cricketer in the world. And <laughs> 30 seconds and, and these kinds of things is, is, is something that we can become so competitive and we can lose perspective so quickly and we can actually... Get focused on the wrong thing. We can ruin relationships through that. We have a knack for doing this exact same thing with our relationship with God. Something that God has brought us into to enjoy, to be fulfilled by, to, to uh, be satisfied through. And we turn it into duty. This is a journey that's meant to be filled with adventure and grace and peace and purpose and passion. And instead, it becomes a duty and a chore and a, a resentful dragging along. Instead of becoming cheerful, we become choreful. That's a word I made up. I checked. It's not in the dictionary. We turn resting into work. God says, come to me who are weary, weary and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And we go, okay, I'll work for that rest. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I want you just to come and, and have faith and come and rest. And we go, okay, Jesus, I'll work for it. No, you, you're not understanding. I'm saying come and rest. And we struggle to do that. We struggle to switch off. We struggle to trust. That's the real issue here. The reason why we don't rest is because we don't trust. You can only rest well. You might have experienced this in your own life. You can only rest well when your heart and your mind are at ease. It's difficult to rest when you don't trust that you're safe. When you don't trust those that are around you, then you're, then you're always on your guard. Last night, I was going through some of this message, and I was sitting outside on the porch um, and, uh, and, and kind of working. I had my earphones in out there, and at some point in the night, um, I heard gunshots nearby. This is Joburg, so it's kind of a reality. You know, you don't go inside unless, you know, the gun, you can actually hear the echo of the gunshot. Then you know it's close, and then you go inside. Um, but at, uh, they were pretty close, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go inside <laughs> now. And, uh, and, and then I went and sat inside and finished my, my work up there 
uh, on the couch last night. And, um, and, you know, I got into bed and I struggled to sleep. I was still hearing noises and hearing sounds and I was a little bit worried. So here's the thing. When your mind and your heart are not at ease, not at peace, when you don't trust that you're safe, you don't rest. And the reason why we don't rest in Jesus is because we don't trust God. That what he said is true. That when he said you're righteous, you're justified, you're forgiven, by the grace of God you are now called, you have a purpose, and there's a plan for your life. We go, ah, uh, uh, okay, I might, maybe, but let me just work something out on the side in case that doesn't work out. We don't rest because we don't trust. I remember E. Stanley Jones, one of my favorite authors, he was a missionary to India for over 50 years, and he wrote this. He says, the more mature a believer becomes, the less seriously he takes himself. The more mature a believer becomes, the less seriously he takes himself. Because you realize that your righteousness is not wrapped up in how holy you can look or how, ho or how holy you can pretend to be, but it's genuine and it's true and it's authentic. And so you get to be free to be yourself. We're not pretending here. So God wants us to not only know, but to also receive His peace in our lives through understanding the righteousness that we have in Jesus. Here's my question to you today. Do you trust that God has saved you completely? Do you know this morning that you are safe in the hands of Jesus? Do you, do you really believe that? Not theoretically, but in your heart. Do you believe that? Do you know that you are made right with God apart from your works? Like it says in Romans, that the righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed. In other words, it's dependent not on the works of the law any longer and how well you can live, but on the grace of God and what He has given you through Jesus. You see, some people think that you have to live a certain way to be made righteous, but what Jesus tells us, and we looked at this in week one, is that you have to be made righteous before you can live a certain way. And if you're not living that certain way, it's because you don't have faith in your righteousness that comes through Jesus. A friend of ours here, Alex, one of our leaders, came to me last week after the message, and he shared something with me that was just so profound. He said, in the Old Testament, sin was separation from God. If you sinned, you were separated from God. But in the New Testament, if you are a believer, sin is an issue of identity, a forgotten identity. Our sin now, when we sin, it's spiritual amnesia. The Bible tells us this in James. It says it's like a man who looks in a mirror. He sees who he is. He walks away and he sins. And he doesn't do what he just read in Scripture. It's because he has forgotten what he looks like. So you will, if you want to live righteously, you have to believe first that you are righteous. Otherwise, you're just going to be pretending. So do we trust that Jesus has made us right with God apart from the works? Because this is essential to living in a relationship with God. We see that the Sabbath was given as a law through the Old Testament. And in the laws of Moses, one of the Ten Commandments was to keep the Sabbath. 
to make it holy, to, to remind people that, that God has created them for something more than just working. To remind them, it was a picture that God was saying that I've created something for you to know that I intend for you to have peace and rest in your life. And people didn't get that. So instead of the Sabbath being made for man, they turned it into man being made for the Sabbath. It's all about how well we keep the Sabbath. So in Hebrews, we come to Hebrews chapter number four, and Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, some people think it was Paul, but whoever wrote it actually addresses this issue of the Sabbath head on, head on. It says in Hebrews four verse one, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there this morning, Hebrews four verse one. This is the main little portion of scripture that we'll stick in for the rest of our time this morning. Hebrews four verse one says, therefore, while the promise, listen to this, of entering his presence, uh, sorry, his rest still stands. The promise of entering his rest, it still stands. That promise that God gave to us. Let us fear, and I'll explain this to you in a moment, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now that makes it sound like you have to work in order to enter the promise of rest, but it doesn't mean that, and I'll show it to you in a moment. He says this, for good news came. What is that word good news? What, what is our word uh, in, from Scripture and what we know uh, in Christianity? What is our word for good news? The gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is that? The good news. For good news came to us today just as to them, speaking about Israel when they were in the wilderness. But the message they heard, the, the good news, the gospel of how God would save them, it did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they didn't believe and therefore rest. They didn't trust and therefore rest. For we who have believed through faith enter that rest. As he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he's talking about Israel again. They don't believe me. They don't believe me that I have a rest for them. They don't believe me that I've called them to peace. They don't believe me that I will make them righteous. And therefore, in my wrath, they cannot enter into my rest. Although his works were finished, Jesus' works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day, the Sabbath, in this way. And this is in Genesis. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. I want to just highlight something there. What was the disobedience? They didn't believe. It wasn't what they did. It was what they believed. You see, disobedience is far more an issue of what you believe than what you do. It's far more an issue of do you trust God versus not trusting God. We can actually say that all of sin is what we do when we're not trusting God. For everything that does not come from faith is sin. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Sin is an issue of faith more than it's an issue of action. Your actions are because of your faith, whether you believe or you don't. So God says, they can't enter my rest because those who formerly heard the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. What was that disobedience? They just didn't believe in the rest that God had for them. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, today, right now, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How can you be disobedient like Israel was being disobedient? If you harden your heart, you fail to believe in the rest that God has promised you. That's how we disobey God. When we harden our hearts to his voice, to what he says, I'm giving you this and we go, nah, I'll, I'll just go and, can, you, can I get some rules, please? Can you give me some laws to follow? That's one of the things that people often say. They say, well, I, I can't, I just, I want, I want something to do. Give me something to do. Then I'll go and do that. But don't tell me I must just believe in Jesus. <laughs> it's easier to try and work something out on your own than to submit to God and to trust. Verse 9 says this. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is speaking to us today. So today there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered, listen to this, God's rest. If you have entered God's rest, he uh, has rested from his works as God did from his. Whoever enters into God's rest rests from their works as God did from his. What is it talking about? It's talking about us earning our righteousness through our works. And when you understand what the Sabbath is all about and what Jesus has done for you on the cross, we rest by faith in what Jesus has done from our works, just like God did on the Sabbath. Is this picture starting to become clear of, of what the Sabbath is actually representing? Israel could not enter God's rest because they didn't believe the gospel. They didn't believe the good news. They wanted to establish their own righteousness in their own strength. And as I've said every week, that's what we keep doing. I won't trust Jesus because I'm going to save myself. I won't, I won't rest in Jesus or submit completely to Jesus because there's certain things I'm holding on to because these give me some dignity. These give me some significance. These are the things I draw my identity from. So I cannot completely rest in Jesus. We want to establish our own righteousness. We've hardened our hearts. And so we don't enter to, into the rest that God has for us. We don't experience our relationship with God as a quiet stream, green pastures. Nothing between you and God. Nothing. No sin, no shame, no condemnation. You're made right with God. We don't experience it that way because we've got hardened hearts. We see in Genesis how God created the world in six days and then the pinnacle of his creation was mankind because he created us in his image. He gave us a spirit. He breathed his own life into us. And then he gave us the ability to have a relationship with God. And God looked at all of this and he said it was good. The work is done. And so the scripture tells us, and we just saw it there being echoed in Hebrews, that God, after the six days, he looked at everything that was done. He declared it all good. And then he rested from his work. God rested on the seventh day. The interesting thing to note here, and Watchman Nee actually says this, I'll show you this quote in a moment, but the interesting thing to note here is that the first day of mankind's life was the day of rest. We, we, we didn't go straight, okay, I'm created, let me work. The first thing that God wants us to do before we can work is rest. Watchman Nee said it this way. Let's throw that up there. Whereas God worked six days and then enjoyed his Sabbath rest, Adam began his life with the Sabbath. 
For God works before he rests, while man must first enter into God's rest, and then alone can he work. Trust in Jesus, and then your works come from that trust. You cannot work yourself into God's rest. You can only rest yourself into the work that God has called us to. God rested on the seventh day because he had finished working. And then he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross. And the, and the words of Jesus before he died was, it is finished. It is finished. It's over. It's done. The work is complete. You see, just like God finished his work and said, that I want you to rest on the Sabbath, Jesus says, it is finished. And he wants us to rest in his rest, in his Sabbath, in his finished work. So Colossians 2 verse 16 says this. And it's talking about those who are judged by others, whether or not they are right with God. Have you ever had somebody judge you whether you're right with God or not? Come into you and say, okay, because you do that or because you've done that or because this is what you're like, you're not right with God. So Paul in Colossians writes to the church, uh, and, and, and he says this. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. In other words, they were just a foretelling, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Some people will take you on if you go shopping on a Sunday, or if you have to do a little bit of extra work on a Sunday because they'll say, no, but it's the Sabbath and you must keep it holy and, and you've got to watch the laws and you've got to make sure that you, you know that Paul writes in Romans 14, he says, for some people, they keep one day holy. Other people see all days at holy, as holy. So whether you hold to one day or all days, you need to do what's in your heart because what you're doing, you're doing it to the Lord. Don't judge those that keep one day holy and don't judge those that keep all days holy. Because our lives have become righteous. Now everything that we do is, is an extension of the righteousness that we have. So don't let people judge you on that because Jesus is the Sabbath. The Sabbath was just a prophecy. The seventh day was a prophecy of what Jesus would do. Hebrews 4 verse 11 says this. It says, let us be diligent to rest. This is after that piece that we read now in, in Hebrews 4. This is how the writer of Hebrews concludes that section on the Sabbath about how Israel were disobedient, how we need to have faith because they didn't believe in the rest that God offered them. And so he concludes with this statement. He says, let us be diligent to rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. When we are trying to earn our righteousness, we become disobedient. So let's be diligent to rest. Let's be diligent to trust in Jesus. The moment we begin to try and earn our righteousness, we're disobeying the gospel. We're being disobedient to the gospel. It's a lack of faith. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Because you might mess up this week. 
You might go and, and do something this week that, that you didn't want to do. And in that moment, you can want to hide from God and run away from God and, 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 and feel condemned and allow shame to flood your life. And we do have sorrow over sin, but what overrides that sorrow, what overrides it is this understanding that Jesus has already justified us and forgiven us of our sins. The Bible says when we, when we uh, uh, confess our sins to God, we have, an, we have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, we have an advocate. And if you've ever seen Suits, watched any <laughs> law story, you'll, you'll, you'll know what it means, that, that the moment when we sin and our sin should go before God as a charge of guilty, the advocate steps in and his name is Jesus. And he steps before the Father and he says, I already paid for that one. I've already paid for that sin. So be diligent. Preach the gospel to yourself. When you sin, remind yourself that Jesus has forgiven your sins. Remind yourself that he has already made you righteous. And the more you begin to believe your own preaching, the more you'll live righteously. You know why? Because every time you're tempted with sin, what you're going to start to understand is that that's not who you are. It's not who I am. That's happening to me more and more in my life. When I'm tempted to sin, I hear the Spirit saying to me, Adrian, this is not who you are. You are the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven, you're justified, you're called, you're holy. I'm, I'm just gonna leave that there. I'm just gonna walk away from this. And it's a journey called sanctification. But the point is, is that the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we apply the genuine, the true Sabbath, the finished work of Jesus to our lives, the more we will see works of righteousness coming forth from within us. And even Martin Luther said, I preach the gospel to my people every week because every week they forget. And so we've got to keep on doing that. Second Peter 3.14, my last scripture this morning. It says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, all the, the, the final promises of God, the heaven, the, the eternal life, all of those things that God has given us, be diligent, again, same thing, be diligent to rest, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, can we live ourselves into a state of no spot or blemish? Let's be honest here this morning. None of us can do that. <laughs> Trying is a blemish. Trying to do it is already you blemishing yourself. So be diligent to be found in the righteousness that God has given you. And guess what it produces in your life? And at peace. When God comes and finds us, we're not running around going, I hope, I hope I've done enough to get into heaven. I hope I've made it. I hope I've been good enough. It's like a scale. I'm weighing up my good versus my bad, and maybe if I've done enough good, I'll make it. No, be found without spot or blemish, standing not in a righteousness that is your own, but that has been given to you by the grace of God, and you'll be at peace. Jesus, if Jesus comes right now, there's not a single thing in me that's going to go, ah, ugh. God, I wish it was tomorrow, or I might have done better this week. If you came next week, it would have been even better. But uh, if Jesus had to come right now, if he had to return right now, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, here I am in the righteousness you gave me, and I'm at peace with that. Even when I struggle, even when I fail, I'm still at peace with the righteousness that God has given me. So be diligent to be found in him. Diligence to not strive. 
Diligence to not go back to trying to save yourself. Diligence to not trying to follow the law. Diligence to not fall by the same example of disobedience. We're supposed to be diligent in resting in Jesus by following his spirit as his spirit guides our heart. The Bible says that, that those who are children of God are led by his spirit. Do you see that how this is different from taking a checklist and a rule book and saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow this pattern. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow these steps. This is an inner guidance. Through the spirit, you're his child. It's not a, it's not a, a letter of the law. Oh, let me, let me see. Because the letter kills, not, not our envelopes, but the law. Um, but the Spirit gives life. Contrast. Law, grace. Striving versus peace. The letter versus the Spirit. The life that God has for us is the one where He leads us into green pastures and makes us lie down beside waters of rest. Where we sit beside the the, the stream of His grace. And we allow the rhythms of God's grace, as the Message Bible mentions when it talks about Matthew 11, the rhythms of His grace to teach us how to live. Ultimately, we want to live from here before we live from here. Because if we're living from here, and we know the righteousness that we have, we will in, experience peace, and will fulfill everything that God's called us to do. Does that make sense this morning? I'm praying that God gives you rest. Not just a message, but some genuine rest and peace in your life. And the main area where you are dying for peace is between you and God. And Jesus has given us that. And that's what our faith is in this morning. It's all about Jesus. Come, let's pray together.